Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to our midweek devotional time. We are thankful that you've joined us tonight, and I uh, want to give everybody a minute uh, that is live streaming to kind of get settled and uh, find their way to our, uh, our live stream page. Uh, but we're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be reading uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 to begin with tonight. But we're glad that you've uh, chosen to be with us and to, to think about God's Word for a few minutes at uh, this, this time in our week uh, that our elders have set aside for that. Uh, I want to uh, remind you, uh, we've been focusing these last couple of weeks on one verse in particular, and we're going to get to part three of this verse tonight. Uh, but just as a kind of a programming note, uh, next week, this time, Wednesday night, uh, I will not be speaking, Brent will be speaking. The elders have asked for uh, Brent to speak and lead the study next week, so we'll take a break from this theme uh, for at least next week, maybe for the next couple of weeks, uh, but uh, just to be advised about that. Uh, Brent, uh, of course, is here, and uh, normally our intern would be doing the uh, Wednesday night invitations uh, during this time, uh, but we're not really having those. This is kind of a substitute for our whole class period that we've been having, uh, so uh, Brent is going to get some, uh, an opportunity to do that next week. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, Paul writes, uh, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And as we've talked about this verse, you know, we've taken the different commands to different groups, how you deal with different groups. And uh, I've said this several times, Paul's key insight here is that different groups of people have different types of needs. They're coming from different places. And because of that, there's no one-size-fits-all way of dealing with them. What we need instead is a, a discernment to distinguish between these different groups and say, who am I dealing with and where is their state? And then how can I best approach them? So we talked about admonishing the idol, that when we have a problem with someone who is refusing to do their work, uh, that's someone who needs a stronger rebuke, stronger teaching. And then last week we talked about encouraging the faint-hearted and the idea that sometimes uh, we can get discouraged and for a variety of reasons, and yet that requires a softer tone. When we deal with someone who is discouraged, that's not a rebellion issue. They are instead someone who needs a, a kinder, gentler touch. And in the same way, we have another command to, to how to deal with another group of people here. Uh, we're going to talk about helping the weak. So here's the question. I, I'd like you to think through a scenario for me and ask yourself the question, have you ever been in this scenario? Have you ever been driving down the road and you got frustrated with another driver and they're driving erratically or they're driving too slow. In some way, they're inconveniencing you, frustrating you. And then you happen to maybe pull up alongside them and you, you look over into their car and you kind of got a glare because you want to give them a bad look. And then what you see when you look into their car is you see an older lady who's right up on the steering wheel and going really slow and trying her best to be cautious. Or maybe you look over and you see not an older lady, but, but a young boy who is obviously terrified because it's one of his first few times behind the wheel and he's just trying to figure out how to drive at all. Or maybe you look over and you see somebody, have you ever seen this? You see someone who is in tears as they drive their car. Or you look over and you see someone who is a mom and you've got kids, and maybe the kid in the front seat is yelling or crying. You've got kids in the back, and she's obviously distracted. What, what happens to us when we see that? What happens is our rage and frustration kind of melts. We kind of get cold water poured over us because we realize that 
while most people we would expect to be able to take care of their own business, take care of their car on the highway, and, and maneuver in a way that's appropriate, those people are kind of in a different circumstance. They are exceptional. So we don't usually get angry with the older lady trying to be cautious or the kid trying to learn to drive or the mom who's just trying to keep peace in her car. Instead, we kind of swallow that and we say, you know what, I, I should back off, I should calm down. So what we're saying there is we have experience with the idea of setting aside this expectation that everybody is going to take care of themselves and that we have to kind of fend for ourselves when certain people are involved. And that's the picture I want us to think about when we look at Paul's statement that we need to help the weak. What he is saying when he says help the weak is that we need to acknowledge that some people are not whole, that some people have needs and weaknesses, and they are really in need of our help and support rather than our criticism, that we treat them in a different way than those who are actively rebellious or trying to, in the case of cars, trying to hurt us or trying to drive poorly, and we say, you know what, they're in that position, I'm going to deal with them gently and kindly. So what this text, this part of the text is really saying is that people need you. And that because people need you, you need to respond in a way that is Christian and appropriate. You need to help the weak and acknowledge their need and treat them differently than you would those who were strong who might have some of the same issues. So let's start with asking the question, who are the weak? Paul just says, help the weak, and so that's a term that needs some definition for us. Uh, it is a word that is typically used of people who are physically sick. And so that's often the case in the Gospels where Jesus heals the sick. Sometimes it's used to describe cripples, or the word in the ESV is invalids in some of those places. So sometimes it's a specific sickness, sometimes it's general sickness. But it's a little bit more of an umbrella term than that because you can see how there's a natural connection between sickness and maybe just physical exhaustion or weakness. Someone is unwell. Someone is not strong, and so they become weak. And then that, that idea of being unwell, not whole, is then communicated and related to spiritual things as well. So weak here is different from what we talked about last week when we talked about being faint-hearted. See, faint-hearted people are those who are in a certain stage of life where they are weary or troubled or doubting or discouraged. But weak people are those who have a larger, deeper need. Weak people are those who, because of the state that they are in, who they are, there are larger needs that need to be addressed. So we might say that one category of weak people are those who are spiritually immature, those are those who have not had either the opportunity or they have not made the effort to grow. They are not as mature, maybe as we would like for them to be, or even as they should be for the amount of time they have been disciples of Jesus. So let's look in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul talks about this kind of a thought about spiritually weak people in 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about how he is striving to make connections with people for the gospel. He knows, as we also have learned from him, that people really need to be connected to someone before they're really going to grasp the gospel. They want to know a person who cares about them and relates to them, and then the gospel can kind of move once that bridge is built. 
And so he talks about that, that need to build bridges with people. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So some of the people, Paul says, and he talks about different groups, some of the people he deals with are Jews. Some are those who are under the law and some are those who are not under the law. That would be Gentiles. And then some of them, he, he has a different category in verse 22. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. So some of the people are not spiritually mature. So Paul sometimes will teach people like a synagogue ruler or a Pharisee. And as he crosses with those people, you know, they have a, a spiritual maturity. Perhaps they're incorrect. That doesn't mean they have great character. But it does mean that when Paul speaks to them, they're going to understand him. They're going to track with him. They're going to have a common language in Scripture. But then there are some people, he says, who are weak. Even the simplest ideas may seem strange to them. Haven't you had that experience? where you wanted to talk to somebody about Jesus and it's almost like the, the simplest things you were going to describe about him, they don't have a vocabulary or a frame of reference for. And so you keep wondering, well, where is our common ground? What can I say that will help this person get there? And so we keep going back and back and back. They are people who may be spiritually immature. And Paul says, well, how do I connect with them? To the weak, he says, I became weak that I might win the weak. So Paul uses their spiritual immaturity to build a bridge by stressing his own weakness. He is always ready to do that, particularly if you read 2 Corinthians. He always wants to talk about how he is insufficient and how he is lacking. But if someone is spiritually immature, I can relate to that weakness. Maybe because I have sinned too and I know what it is to be trapped in sin. Maybe it's because I continue to struggle to be what I should be. But in some way or another, that spiritual immaturity can be a point of connection. So when Paul uses the word weak here, he's not talking about sickness, physical sickness. He's talking about a spiritual immaturity in these people that then he tries to make a commonality. He also uses the idea of spiritual weakness. This is Romans 5 and verse 6 to describe who we were before God sent Jesus for us. He says, for a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I underlined a couple of parts of that verse, but I want you to see how they're parallel. While we were still weak... And then later on in the verse, in verse 8, while we were still sinners. Some versions say, instead of weak, while we were without strength. We were sinners. We were unworthy. We were weak and powerless to do anything about our slavery to sin. And thanks to God, praise to God, he was willing to help the weak. While we were in that state... He died for the ungodly. There was nothing winsome about us that would say this would be a good thing for God to do for us. We deserve it. Instead, we were spiritually immature and God acted to save us anyway. Go with me over to Romans chapter 14. 
There is another use of the spiritual immaturity in Romans 14 that I think is, is telling and important for you and me as we think about how we interact as people who may be mature, maybe immature, and how we work together in a local church. I'm in Romans 14, reading in verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So Paul talks about these issues on which we will have differences of opinion. And he says they're going to reveal that some are weak in faith. That's verse 1. And he also talks about it in verse 2. The weak person eats only vegetables. So what's happening here? We have, and we all have this, we have opinions that we hold conscientiously and emotionally. Things that, yes, there is some reason behind them, but we also believe them to be so true that even if somebody convinced us that's not right, we still probably couldn't do it. That is the idea of the conscience, not just the brain. And so what he is saying here is, these are things that we either have to believe or unbelieve, and we need to grow so that we can understand more deeply what God actually says and both educate our minds and our consciences, our minds and our hearts, if you will. But in the meantime, while we're all growing in a local church, we still interact with each other. And so we have to interact with people who are more mature than we are and less mature than we are. So how do we do that? How do we bridge those gaps where you have a conviction and I have a conviction and they pull in opposite directions. Maybe I'm weak and you're strong. What do we do? Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So how do we bridge that gap? He says, the strong bear with the failings of the weak. We please our neighbor and not ourselves, verse 1 and verse 2. So we act like Jesus, verse 3. Jesus didn't please himself. Instead, he was willing to take abuse, punishment on behalf of others. We help the weak. Now, in context, he is saying that that might even mean forfeiting our rights, you know, the things that we assume we have a right to do. So he talks about Romans 14 and 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. He talks about in verse 20, do not destroy for the sake of food the work of God. Verse 21, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. There are things that I am perfectly fine doing that I might say I'm not going to do it out of respect for the conscience of my weak brother. And the thing about Romans 14 is that it just seems so unfair. I mean, why should I have to give up my rights for him? I mean, after all, he's weak. He doesn't even understand it. Here I am. I'm mature. I'm strong. Why do I have to live by his uneducated conscience? And the reason is, the answer is, because that's the whole point. We help the weak, not please ourselves. So when we talk about spiritual immaturity, every church... Every church is made up of people who are weak and people who are strong. 
How do we accept one another? How do we make peace? How do we work together? The biblical answer is that the strong help the weak. Now, the second category that I want to talk about, about who the weak are, are the physically needy. Since this word has a physical tint to it, about like we discussed earlier, the idea of physical sickness, it shouldn't surprise us that it's also used commonly in the context of physical needs. Let's look in Matthew 25, where Jesus uses this to describe some needs he wants his disciples to meet. Matthew 25, and uh, we're going to start in verse 34. So the word we're looking for as we read through here is the word sick, which is our word weak. Matthew 25 and verse 34, Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And so again, the the righteous there ask, well, when did we see you in all these positions of need and do all this to you? We don't remember this. And he says in verse 40, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So he says, I was sick or maybe I was weak and you visited me. So in the context of all these physical needs, he says, you need to think about the way you treat other people's physical weaknesses as if they're the way you're treating me. And this teaching, I, I, you guys know, I, I love this passage because it challenges me deeply and I talk about it a lot because I think Jesus is brilliant in the way he gets to the core of our disconnect about this. We tend to think that as long as we serve God, that God's gonna be happy and we, we're honoring God in the appropriate way. But Jesus says, no, when you serve your fellow man and you help the weak, you're actually serving and helping me. So we need to see him in the needs of our brothers and our friends and our neighbors. We need to see that's Jesus in need. When we talk about weakness as physical need, I I need to remind you that the New Testament places priority on Christian relationships that we do good to all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. We have a special connection with other disciples and that has some outgrowths in terms of meeting physical needs. But I want to show you how Paul talks about that in Acts chapter 20 and how it affected his behavior. I think what's surprising about Acts chapter 20 is that Paul shows us helping the weak is going to require a a significant paradigm shift for us. We're going to have to change the way we think. Acts chapter 20, and I want to begin reading in verse 32. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders here. He says, Acts 20, 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul talks about his time in Ephesus. He says, you guys remember what I was like and how I handled my business. I lived and worked among you by taking care of myself. He says specifically, I I took care of my own needs. My hands ministered to my own needs. But he talks about why. Why would Paul do that? He certainly had the right, as he talks about in other places, to take support for preaching the gospel. 
Well, he tells them in verse 35, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He says, I had a goal. I wanted to teach you, not just in words, but in deeds, what it means to help the weak. What he is saying is that I didn't come to Ephesus to take from you. I didn't come to receive. I came to give. I literally came to give instead of receiving. I didn't want to take anything from you. I wanted to give. And so he worked hard to make that true. So this teaching that he refers to in verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I think this is deeply challenging. Now we know it's true, but I think sometimes we're not sure how that works because deep down, while we know giving is good, we're just not really sure it's better than getting. And so there's a lot of programming that we have received from our culture and maybe from our own experiences about what it is to receive things that contradicts this statement. But what Paul is saying as he says this is he's talking about more than just occasionally giving somebody money or giving somebody a gift. He is talking about a revolutionary new way of thinking and living that Jesus teaches us to live in a way in which people will be continually taking from us. We keep giving. And when we become strong, we only become strong so that we can help the weak. We become strong enough to support them and to give to them. That's what Paul shows us. And he does that by talking about physical needs. Him meeting his own physical needs so that he can give an example of how we should be focused on taking care of ourselves and giving to others, sharing, not receiving, but giving. So when you think about this aspect, Every church is going to have people who struggle with physical needs. Maybe those are financial needs. Maybe those are social needs, like we're lonely. We don't have people around us. Sometimes those are physical needs. We need help around the house. How do we incorporate those kind of people into our group? People who come to us, and they don't come to give. They come to take. They come because they are in need. Well, Paul's solution is we help the weak. We take care of those needs. So who are the weak? The spiritually immature and the physically needy are the weak. So then the question comes, well, how do we help them? Help here in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, the word help the weak, is a word that means to hold or cling to, to be devoted to. So some versions try to capture that by having words like uphold or support. Uh, The message takes it a step further and talks about them them uh, pulling them up to their feet. So it's not just holding, but it's pulling. But how do we do that? How do we help? How do we uphold the weak? Well, the first thing that I want to stress is that helping the weak is going to involve giving. So when people need us, that means we meet the need. And that will always require us giving something. Remember, we're we're reading here in Acts 20, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So when we talk about spiritually immature people, like we did here at the beginning, spiritually immature people are going to require us giving them time and attention. They are not going to be able to just take care of themselves. They're going to need people to help them. So consider a new Christian. Somebody hears about Jesus. They hear about what it means to to follow Jesus, and they decide, that's what I want. And so they're baptized into Christ. And what do we do then? 
Do we just kind of chunk a Bible at them and say, well, good luck. Hope it goes well. See you on Sunday. Now, we know that someone who's a new Christian is going to need some special attention. They need to learn. They need to grow because they are weak in that moment. So we give. We study together. We talk through their lives. We call and check on them. We hang out. We invite them to things. We include them in our social plans. We talk a lot. Sometimes they, they may call us and say, hey, I need help. I'm trying to think about how do I get away from my friends, the, these friends from my old life. I don't want to be with them anymore. They have questions. What does this verse mean? What should I do in this situation? They respond immaturely at times. Maybe they let some of their old ways come back, and so they, they lapse, and they need help and forgiveness and prayer and patience Sometimes they get upset. Maybe they get upset at the church or at other Christians. They are spiritually immature. People need you. So give and help the weak. Weak people need us. They need attention. And that's hard. It is hard to give people the attention that they need. Because we live in an individualistic society where we just basically say, you know what, you live your way, I'll live mine. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And for some of us, that, and that includes me, by the way, we often just kind of want to be left alone to do our own thing. But people need us, and they need our attention. So help the weak. And people need our encouragement. They may not have the drive that stronger people do. You know, they may get up on Sunday morning and say, you know what, I just don't feel like it. And they need our encouragement to say, no, come worship with us. We need you, we love you, we want you to be here. They may not be as interested as they should. They may not be as familiar with the Bible as they should. But we can pump them up and we can give them energy and positivity. We can give. And some are physically weak. So they need stuff as well. They need us to give. They need us to give time. They need us to give maybe our own physical labor for them. Maybe they need money. Whatever it is, what I want you to see is that helping the weak is almost always going to involve us giving something to them. And that is something that we have to be prepared to do. When Paul tells us, help the weak, he is saying, don't forget about these people. People need you. Don't assume they don't. Don't assume they're fine. Help them. How do we help them? Be patient. As I mentioned, weakness is a longer-term issue than faint-heartedness. So it takes some time to grow. And I want to be very clear about what I'm trying to say and what I think this implies for you and me. When people are weak and they have needs, it can be extremely draining for us. We are waiting for people to grow, to stand on their own feet, to become strong. Sometimes they never do. Sometimes they are, we are waiting and waiting and waiting. Patience then becomes essential. And I am convinced that we don't have that patience naturally. Because what we want, at least I'll speak from my experience, is that we love to help and we are eager to help, but we kind of want that help to be a one-time thing. You know, you need something great, love to help, but when that need recurs and comes up again and again and again and again and we don't see any progress or any change, nothing seems to be resolved, then we get discouraged and we get tired. Some people are not like that. Some people, 
have physical and mental and emotional problems that never get resolved. Some people are in regular, continual need. And Paul says, help the weak. The longer I live and the more relationships and efforts that come to my attention, the more needs I see, the more I am convinced that this is the heart of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what ministry is, to give and to give and to give. Not because you can fix everything, not because you resolve all the problems, not because when you're done you can dust your hands off and say, hey, the work is finished, but to help the weak and serve Jesus because it's what he has done for us. So we need patience in that. Because that's not a problem we're just going to resolve. It is instead the continual effort of the Christian walk. So helping the weak is not getting frustrated and exasperated because people need things. That's not going to help them. It's not resenting the fact that people need something from us or require something of us. It's not discounting people who need our help as if they're worthless. You know, what are you bringing to the table? Instead, it implies an imbalance. Some are strong and some are weak. Now, all of us at times are weak, and we rely on others at times. But serving Jesus means we look to return that favor by helping those who are weak that we know of in our circles. I want to give you just a couple of uh, thoughts here that might help to both motivate us and to keep our heads in the right place about it. It might help us to see Jesus in the need. Remember what we read, Jesus says, as you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. I think it is helpful to equate our service to weak people to our service to Jesus. How would we treat him? And I really think this eliminates a lot of our excuses. You know, where we say, you know what, I'm just too tired. Would we say that if it was Jesus who was in need? Or I I shouldn't have to do this. Somebody else should do this. Would we say that if it was Jesus? Or why can't he just figure it out? I'm tired of helping him. Would we say that if it was Jesus? I understand. You know, Jesus might not be in need in those ways. But Jesus is teaching us to equate the need as if we're serving him. It is a blessing. Please hear me. I'm not just saying this. It is a blessing to be able to help anyone. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So what does Jesus want for these immature Christians, those who are weak? What does Jesus want for these physically needy people? Is it even possible that you and I are the means by which Jesus is going to take care of their needs? That Jesus is saying, look, I've given them help. I've given them Jacob. See Jesus in the need. And it'll strengthen you. The other thing that might help us here is to remember what's been done for us. Paul reminds us that Christ died for us while we were still weak. And the truth is, and this is sort of the the paradox behind this passage, we're all still weak. And whatever strength we have is given by God through His Spirit. But have have you ever asked the question, how does God treat us? As we are weak, does he recoil from us because we are so needy? Have you ever thought about how needy you are? How often we keep asking God for things? How each day 
brings new needs and demands. God is newly compassionate to us every morning. He doesn't complain about how weak we are. Instead, he works to make us better. When Paul says, help the weak, he is saying that people need you. So let's resolve to serve them and to help them. Who are the weak people in your life? Who are the weak people in our congregation? Who are the weak people in your family? Who are the weak people in your workplace? If our goal is to mature, then we won't complain about the blessing of serving them. I started by talking about driving. Have you ever had that experience where you look in and you see somebody and suddenly things change? The reason I bring that up is because there is a key moment when we are in that position where our hearts melt and we're no longer so proud and so concerned about ourselves, so frustrated about not being able to go as fast as we'd like. And there is a movement toward understanding and compassion. I see that person and I see them as more than someone who's gotten in my way, more than a driver who needs to figure out how to drive. I see that's a real person and I care. So is there more that we can consider about the people in our lives who we find annoying or unpleasant? Could it be that they're just weak? And if so, could it be that I need to be the one to help the weak? Let's pray about that, and we'll be done with our time for this evening. Our God and Father, we thank you so much You have been so good to us. And even tonight, Father, we think about the way you've been patient and kind, the way you shower blessings on us, how much you give, and without reproach. And Father, how we rely on you and you sustain us. How you've looked down in mercy when we have disobeyed and rebelled. And you have been willing to even send your son to forgive us of our sins. Father, we are in awe of your willingness to help the weak. And Father, I pray for each one of us as we think about these things and we think about our own lives and circles that we'll change our perspective from people who want others to do for us to people who want to do for others. I pray, Father, that you'll make this change in our hearts. That you'll give us eyes to see the opportunities right in front of us. That you'll give us the the strength that we need, spiritual and physical, to help others. Give us the courage to ask, to speak out, to reach out. And help us, Father, to move past our own selfishness and focus on ourselves to help others. Father, I pray for this local church as we try to work together and as we have a a direct hand in one another's lives, as we have the opportunity to say and do things that can be so helpful and so hurtful. Help us, Father, to see how important it is to care for those who are weak. Father, give us this heart like Jesus to be a people of compassion, to reach out and to try to help where we can. And Father, when we are exhausted and drained, 
fill us up so that we can serve again. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.